This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Tim's an old student of mine and a good friend. We have a lot of history, and, uh, and so we go back 20-something years. Amen. Uh, have, have some of you felt defeated lately, beat up, huh? broken from life? Huh? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of honest people in the audience. <laughs> Listen, I want to speak about something that kind of revolutionized my, my understanding of God. And I, I think we need to speak on it more often as far as our relationship to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We got a great salvation that was put together by the Father and the Son in all eternity. You know, that comes out in Ephesians chapter 1 where uh, God, Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit came together in this wonderful plan of redemption. And we were the apple of his eyes. God loved us so much that the reason he created man was so that we would have fellowship with him and eternal life. That's the only purpose we've been put here. And all of us have to find that purpose before God through Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And we talked about, you know, in Ephesians 2, you can see the Son, the second person of the Godhead who took on humanity. And, of course, we can identify with Jesus Christ a lot better than you know, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, which we're really going to be talking about today. Jesus Christ took on humanity and went to the cross, died for our sins. And when he said it is finished, he meant that in relationship to our sin. But his work was only beginning for us. He went to the, sit at the right hand of the Father as a high priest, the book of Hebrews, a wonderful book. You should be familiar with it because it talks about what Jesus Christ is doing for us 24-7. And so we have this great salvation. We're all three persons. And even in Ephesians, it talks about the role of the Holy Spirit, which I'm going to be talking about today. I was talking to somebody after the service, after the first service, and it's probably a true statement. They said, you know, you don't hear too much teaching on the Holy Spirit. You know, you hear about the Holy Spirit, but... Do we really address what's, what has happened to us at the point of salvation? What is going on in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit? God has equipped us in a wonderful way to be able to testify to the truth. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are God's ambassadors. He's appealing to a lost world through us. He has to equip us fully in order for him to make his appeal. God is not using the unbelieving rich or the unbelieving movie stars, not using the, the holy angels to make his appeal. He's using us. And God knew that it would take the work of the Holy Spirit for us to be his ambassadors and to penetrate this kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of truth, the kingdom of light. And so God has set us apart. And I want you, I want you to be aware of the many truths that God has provided for us through the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit, we're going to look at what the Holy Spirit has done for us at the point of conversion. Now, when I'm talking about conversion, I'm talking about being born again with the Spirit of God. Okay, we don't hear that term too much, do we, in churches? Am I right? And I'm not sure why. We don't hear too much of repentance because repentance is a prerequisition for God given us the Holy Spirit. Nobody's going to receive the Holy Spirit, even if they believe, but they've never repented. It's not that hard to believe. What we need to do is repent. That's another word that seems to be lost in the American church. And when God gives us his Holy Spirit, he has put us in a direction where we become those ambassadors and we will testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. The great promise that Jesus made to us is way back in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John, chapter 14, uh, verse, uh, verse 15. 
God didn't leave us as orphans. You know, Christ didn't leave us as orphans. When he departed, he made this wonderful promise. But 14.15 says, If you love me, Jesus speaking, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Go to verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 13. Chapter 16, verse 13. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Now take notice, he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. You know, the Holy Spirit is, is in the business of edifying God's children. Okay? He's in the business of testifying to the person of Jesus Christ. A lot of crazy practices going on on TV that have nothing to do with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But people are attracted because the carnal mind is attracted to that. What the Holy Spirit is doing for us is going to bring glory to the Father and the Son. He's going to testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. He's going to reveal Christ and all his holiness to us so that we pursue the righteousness of Christ in a way that the Holy Spirit continues to build us up and we become more and more like the image of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is going to edify us He's going to refresh us, but he's not going to involve himself in any kind of practices that bring glory to man and not glory to Jesus Christ. God knew what it was going to take for us to be his witnesses. God knows what it's going to take for us to testify to the truth. He didn't leave us as orphans. Christ ascended to, to heaven, and what, what came next? The spirit of truth. Again, Pontius Pilate asked the question, what is truth? It's a million-dollar question. How could we answer that question? We get it, but, but if we're walking in the truth and we have the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit will interpret what Jesus meant when he said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. And so we want to make sure that we're not living independent of the Holy Spirit in our walk with God. Romans 6, 7, and 8 is an interesting chapter. It, interesting chapters. It talks about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. It says we can have a choice. We can live, and this comes out of Romans 7, we can either live according to the flesh or we can live according to the Holy Spirit. Our first inclination is living according to the flesh is living according to sin. That is not what Paul is really saying there. He's saying if you live according to the flesh, you're, you're living according to the power of the flesh. You're being religious because he's addressing religious people in that area. And he's saying, if you want to live according to the flesh, you're going to bring back the power of sin. If you want to live according to the Holy Spirit, then you'll see the power of God in our lives as the Holy Spirit guides us and takes over, and we see the strength of, 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 of God in our lives through the fellowship that we have with the Holy Spirit. Listen, a lot of people in the church are not learning this. I'm not saying this church, the church as a whole. We put a bondage on ourselves because we're trying to do it according to our own strength. Right? If we start living according to the flesh religiously, it's just going to puff us up because pride is going to be built up. If we live according to the Holy Spirit, we're going to be humbled. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's testifying to the holiness of God, revealing Jesus Christ to us, and it's humbling us. Because we realize how far we fall short of the glory of God. We'll never get puffed up, because we don't want to really think about thinking more of ourselves, at least if we're maturing, than we should. But when the Holy Spirit is governing us, it's going to keep us humbled in a good way. And, and we're going to continue to pursue the holiness of, of God. And so in this area of scripture, you know, three things. The Holy Spirit bears witness to the truth of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness to the truth of Christ. And the Holy Spirit will guide all of us into the truth.
That's why this is important. Who do we want interpreting God for us? Who do we want interpreting the truth for us? Let me get back to this issue on truth. How do you interpret truth? How do you interpret love? How do you, biblical love, I gotta say biblical love. How do you interpret God's grace? How do you interpret mercy? Walk in the truth. And the Holy Spirit will start interpreting the essence of what these words mean. I can give you the Greek word and you know the, what the word says in Greek. You know, love, agape, oh yeah, the highest form of love. Listen, you want to know the highest form of love? Walk with Jesus Christ on a daily basis through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and you'll be able to interpret what real love is. That unconditional self-sacrificing love. Okay? A lot of people in our in our government that need a little love, you know, but they're all closing God out. And they're all using their own wisdom to try to bridge the gap between the hatred that exists between man. You want to bridge the gap? Let Christ into your heart and give God a chance to raise us up with his wisdom. And you'd be surprised what we can do in trying to reconcile. But that's not going to happen until Christ comes back at the millennial kingdom when Christ is reigning. We need a foundation for living. The Bible is the truth. Right? The Old and New Testament. Okay? The Holy Spirit's going to illuminate the wonderful truth of God's Word. He's going to show us how to capture the essence of what God is really saying. The natural mind, a person who's not born again with the Spirit of God and playing religion, they cannot capture the essence of truth. They cannot capture the essence of love. They, they can only go so far. They put a ceiling on their understanding of God because they're interpreting God according to their own carnal mind instead of humbly letting the Holy Spirit interpret God in the fullness of the truth. What a big difference. And that's why we, we got to get back to good old theology concerning the wonderful truths of our relationship to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Because when, when we start realizing who we are in Christ, you know, it gives us assurance, it gives us confidence. You know. But a person who's religious, living according to the flesh, uh, it's a struggle. They're putting a burden on themselves. I'm not ignoring human responsibility when I say that. But there's a fine line between being religious and living according to the power of the flesh and truly humbling ourselves and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. There's a fine line. If we're on the wrong side of this fine line, we're going to get ourselves, you know, we're going to be burdened by our struggle with sin. If we let the Holy Spirit have his way in our life, he's going to uproot the old tendencies of the flesh and replace them with Christ-like attributes. That's the way this works. We can't outrun our sin. The best way we can outrun sin is to run with the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we're gonna accomplish this. And once we start learning how to humble ourselves and let go and let God's Spirit minister to us, then we'll be able to be those ambassadors that testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. What's the local church? The local church is the pillar of truth. We're the ones that uphold the truth. We're the ones that testify to Christ. That's what we're doing here as a local church. We're all here with the common purpose, the common goal. As individuals, we're ambassadors. And trust me, if an ambassador, you know, when you, we send our ambassador to the UN, they represent the United States. When God sends his ambassadors to the world, they represent Jesus Christ. What an awesome responsibility that God has given us. And so, the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth, but there's six things that have happened to us at the point of conversion. And the first thing is that the promise that we just read in, in John 14, the Holy Spirit will indwell all of us permanently at salvation. That's the promise of Jesus in John 14. That's the promise of Ephesians. We'll look at that a little later in chapter 1. That's the promise of 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, where, G, where John says the giving of his spirit. It's interesting. You don't see this in the English, but when the authors of the New Testament are making a theological truth of who we are in salvation, 
A lot of times they switch from the present tense to the perfect tense. The perfect tense in Greek is a tense that means something that happens once and for all in the past that doesn't have to be repeated, but has a present result. That's basically the perfect tense. The authors are switching to the perfect tense when it talks about theological truths of who we are in Christ. And it's beautiful to see in the Greek where now they're saying, you have once and for all received the Holy Spirit. One of the ministries that happens at the point of salvation, we have been set apart. Okay, that's, uh, let's take that as the first thing of six that I want to mention here today. We are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. There's two different types of sanctification. There's positional sanctification. Once and for all, God has sanctified us through the Holy Spirit. Sanctification or saints, the word saints, you know, we get them from that. It's twofold. We have been set apart from something and set apart to something. At the point of conversion, we have been set apart from the corruption of this world. Peter does a commentary in his epistle. We have been set apart from the corruption of this world, and we have been set apart from the power of sin. That's neat. That's what happens at the point of salvation. And we're set apart to God to testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. And God has equipped us in such a wonderful way. How, you think about this. How can we blow, blow this? All right? We have to insult the Holy Spirit to walk around, call ourselves a Christian, and act like a flake. We're insulting the truth of the gospel. We're insulting the Holy Spirit. To be a flake and call yourself a Christian, that's crazy. <laughs> There's something wrong with that. But... When God, you know, puts his spirit in us, you know, we're sanctified for a purpose. We're sanctified for his glory. And now we need to just, again, let go and let the Holy Spirit sanctify us. And so there's a positional sanctification where once and for all, we've been set apart for God's purpose. Now we're fulfilling the purpose why God in all eternity, you know, chose us. As we come into, you know, we take, we're born into the world, okay? And so uh, God has, uh, you know, set us apart, and now we're in a position as he has equipped us to honor him and to truly glorify him in our lifestyle. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit testifies to our sonship in Christ. You know, if you look at Romans 8, 9, go to Romans 8, 9. And Romans 8, 8, 9 says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Okay? This is the issue. Again, going back to how God has equipped us in such a wonderful way. What's the problem when someone can't go forward? in the faith, right? Someone just keeps repeating the same sin, playing games with God for a period of five, 10 years. What's wrong, what's going on there, right? Maybe they have to revisit their salvation and start asking themselves, did I receive the Holy Spirit or did I just believe in vain and never repented, never surrendered to Christ? Trust me, when the Holy Spirit prepares us for salvation, there's a brokenness that takes place at the point of salvation. The reason why God has given us the Holy Spirit because we've been broken in life, broken by the Holy Spirit, bringing us to our knees where we, where we need to repent. Why do you think in the book of Romans, Jesus, the Apostle Paul spent the first three chapters on this masterpiece of salvation where he talked about justification, sanctification, glorification, but yet he opens up the first three chapters with sin. He shows the pagan's a sinner, the moralist is a sinner, the religious Jew is a sinner, or any religious person. We all fall short of the glory of God. Why? Because in order to preach salvation, you've got to bring a person face to face with the reality of their sin. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bring us face to face with the reality that we're separated from God. And no matter how much we try to do to bridge that gap, we can't do it according to the flesh. 
but God has done it at the cross with Jesus Christ. And so there's a brokenness, you know, where we come to our knees and call upon the Lord. And we start calling out to God and we start recognizing, acknowledging the testimony of Christ, acknowledging the word of God. You know, John even picked up on it in his epistle in 1 John. If we say we have not sinned, we're, a liar. we're making God out to be a liar. You know? And so the Holy Spirit, even prior to our justification or our conversion, is, is preparing our hearts. And so the, the indwelling you know, is, um, helps us to understand really the nature of salvation, helps us to really understand spiritual insight into the nature of real things that make the gospel what it is, right? See how crazy it is if someone's religious, never received the Holy Spirit? You know, you know, I get people come up to me, I don't go to church. All the hypocrites are in church. Well, you know what? I, I kind of agree with him. If you've got a bunch of people in church never been born again, you're going to see a lot of hypocrisy going on because they can't change themselves. And going to church without the Spirit of God cannot change them. That's just the facts. And so there's no argument here. All the hypocrites are in heaven. I mean, excuse me, all the hypocrites are in the church. Yeah, you're not going to find any hypocrites in heaven. This is what's going on. This is what's happening. And that's why, again, we need to make sure we're thorough in preaching the truth. Really preach the gospel the way God has called us to preach it. You know how many people have come up with techniques preaching the gospel? Just preach Jesus. You know, don't, don't misunderstand me. We can adjust to people's mentalities. But if we're going to preach the gospel, I mean, what should be coming out of our mouth? Keywords: you're a sinner, you need to repent, God loves you, but if you don't repent, he's going to alienate you from his love. I mean, these are key words. Instead of going, oh, God loves you, come to our church, have some fun. We've got a couple of programs going on. Come on. Preach the word to someone that doesn't know Jesus. How do you think they're going to get saved if we use a humanistic approach to the gospel? What I say by humanistic, not preaching what God wants us to preach, but our own ideas about how to get somebody in the church. Preach the truth, because that's what the Holy Spirit will drive home to a person's heart. And so the indwelling, you know, in, um, in Romans 8, if you go down to um, verse 14 in the same, same chapter, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children, the children of God. And if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified with him. And so the indwelling testifies of our sonship in Christ. The indwelling is an expression of God's love towards his children. That comes out of Romans 5.5. 5. And the indwelling helps us to guard the truth of Scripture. Look at 2 Timothy 1.13. 2 Timothy 1.13. I like this. Hold fast, 2 Timothy 1, verse 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. The good thing, the gospel, the treasure, that was entrusted to us. What an awesome responsibility that God has entrusted to us. And so God, it's like safeguard safeguards preciously the truth of the gospel by what? The Holy Spirit. I don't know who's to be at bigger fault. All these false teachers on TV or the people who are following these false teachers, okay? I don't know what, what's a sadder commentary. These false teachers Jesus spoke about, they're coming in droves and they're gonna be with us to the end of the age, the wheat and the tears. You know, don't pull it up, wait to the harvest, which is the end of, of the age. 
What's going on here? Okay? A Christian who's born with the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit indwells them, they can spot a counterfeiter real fast if they're maturing. Okay, that's the difference. If a person's religious, never been born again with the Spirit of God, they can't identify with a liar. It all sounds the same to them. Mormonism, Christianity, Jehovah Witness, it's all the same to them. Why are you guys all fighting among yourself? You're all Christians. Oh, really? Oh, is that so? Only those that accept the Jesus of the Bible and receive the Holy Spirit, that's the true Christians. Everything else is a lie. We're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That's why we can testify and protect ourselves against a false presentation of the truth. We've got to be in the Word of God. Because the Holy Spirit is maturing us through the Word of God. And as we continue to grow in the Word of God, we, 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 get, you know, we get spiritual antennas. And we can spot a counterfeiter real fast. But that's how we protect ourselves. You know, we, we can identify you know, with the truth, and at the same time, we can identify with a, uh, a lie. All of us should mature to a place where we can spot it right away. That's the first thing we have to do because, you know, we have to ask ourselves, what is persuading us? Are we persuaded by the Holy Spirit? Are we persuaded by all the rhetoric and gibberish of man that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ, right? And so we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The second thing is we're sealed by the Spirit at the point of salvation. Look at Ephesians 1.13. Ephesians 1.13. This is after we have this great you know, chapter speaking about the Father orchestrating everything in eternity. We have the role of the Holy the role of Jesus Christ taken on humanity, but then we have the role of the Holy Spirit in chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The word seal in scripture, it carries kind of three different meanings, finished transaction, ownership, Security. We're a finished transaction. According to Romans 8.30, those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. It's in the aorist tense, and the, the, the English uh, equivalent to the aorist tense in Greek is the past tense. Why is he saying we've already been glorified? Because as far as God is concerned, when he puts his Holy Spirit in us, and we're born with the Spirit of God, he's mapped out our past, present, and future history for us. We have been justified, we're being sanctified. How do you know you're, you're a true believer? You're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's, if you're led by the Holy Spirit, you're a true believer. If you're led by your own flesh, you need to revisit your salvation. There's something wrong. But that's how we know that we're, 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 we're being sanctified because the Holy Spirit's guiding us into all truth. And it's like, amen. And so... And so we're a finished transaction, and the Holy Spirit, as we just read in Ephesians 1.13, is the guarantee, the deposit, some of your, some of your translation. He's going to get us to the finish line because that's eternal life. Last time I looked, Jesus promised eternal life, not partial life. We accept Christ, and the Holy Spirit comes into our heart. We have eternal life. The evidence of that is that we, the evidence of that is that we're led by the Holy Spirit in everything we do. That's the evidence of a true son of God. Romans 8 addresses that in the commentary. And so the ownership, also the word seal emphasizes ownership. We are the property of God for all eternity. You know, we like to boast about our favorite team. I'm the property of the New England Patriots. You know, they got bragging rights this year, right? I'm the property of the Golden Knights, right? Yeah, right? Right, right. property of the Golden Knights. Why don't we make up some T-shirts? Huh? Property 
of Jesus Christ. Huh? I'm owned by God. That would be nice, wouldn't it? But that's what the word seal means. That's what the word seal means. It, it, it carries the meaning of ownership. We are the property of God. You know? We're a finished transaction. Why? Because God doesn't have to do anything more for this wonderful transaction, who we are, that he's already done. And the third thing, security. Again, the guarantee of our eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so we've been indwelled permanently. We've been sealed. But we're also regenerated. Go to Titus 3.5. Titus 3.5. Titus 3 3. Let's, uh, yeah, Titus uh, 3 4. Let's go to 3 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Wow. And so the third thing is that we have been regenerated at the point of salvation. Regeneration means the new birth. Peter emphasizes this. We've been born again with a new birth. 2 Corinthians 5.17 emphasizes the fact that we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. And... Titus 3.5, as we just read, the renewing ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's renewing us. And we need to be renewed in our minds and in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You ever hear people say, uh, oh, you're a Christian, you're a born-again Christian? Oh, you're brainwashed. Right? I've heard it. You ever hear that? I heard it. Oh, you're brainwashed. Right? Well, amen. I hope God washes every bit of my brain. Because there was a lot of sewage stuff that came through before I got saved. The Holy Spirit renews us. All of a sudden, we get out of our selfishness and we get into Christ-centeredness. All of a sudden, we start thinking with the love of Christ to be understanding, considerate, patient with people. Right? Instead of throwing darts at one another, generating hatred for each other. That the history of man has demonstrated. But that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He renews our minds through regeneration. And now all of a sudden, you know, we start developing spiritual insight. And we're able to really identify with the ways of God. That's what I was saying earlier. Who, uh, uh, you know, how do you interpret truth? How do you interpret you know, love? Well, walk with God on a daily basis. Be in fellowship, you know, well, God's already created the fellowship. Walk in the fellowship that God has created, and we'll start interpreting these things because the Holy Spirit's interpreting truth for us. If we're disregarding the role of the Holy Spirit in our life, who do you think's interpreting God? Us. And all of a sudden, we're going to end up bringing God, an infinite God, down to our finite minds. And we can only go so far as recognizing through faith what God can do for us. You know, you go to Isaiah chapter 40, and you look, and you see the greatness of God. And the Holy Spirit will take a passage like that and drive it home, and we start developing the attributes of God. Now, all of a sudden, we start really seeing God in all his glory. And we start realizing our Father makes no mistakes. And there's no mistakes. Every word of God is flawless. We start testing that, you know, in a good way, and we start realizing the word of God is flawless. God makes no mistakes. That starts leading to assurance. That starts leading to confidence. One of the biggest ministries in the Bible is to persevere against adversity. It's not that hard to praise God when everything's going good, right? Oh, I got my raise. Everybody's behaving nicely. They're saying the nice things to me. It's not that hard. Praise the Lord. But true worship, when we can persevere through hardships or adversity or bad circumstances, why? Because we want to glorify the Father. 
and all of a sudden, you know, we start seeing the reality of truth. See, that can only come through the Holy Spirit. No curriculum, no man-made laws can produce that kind of wisdom and understanding that God wants us to have. We've been regenerated. We have access to the heart of God. 1 Corinthians 2 says we have the mind of Christ. Yeah. That's a good passage. Let's look at that one. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 9. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things for what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, not the Spirit of man, but the, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which what man's wisdom teaches. But, with the, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with, with spiritual, you know, with the spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why do you think when you're trying to preach to someone who's hardening their hearts to God, they look at you like you got two heads, right? They've rejected the truth. That's the natural mind. It can't identify with God in no way. It can't identify with a message of repentance. We're preaching spiritual things that it's going to take spiritual appraisal to appreciate. And that's why when people harden their hearts to God, uh, you, you're hitting, you know, you're beating on a dead horse because they've decided that they're rejecting the testimony of Christ. Move on. But those who are being led by the Holy Spirit, those who are being drawn by the Holy Spirit into salvation, they're open. They'll give you a hearing. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has to prepare their hearts to accept the testimony of Christ in a very spiritual way. And the Holy Spirit will prepare a person for that. All of us have been prepared by the Holy Spirit. <coughs> We've come to that place and realized I'm a sinner. And I, I need a mediator. That's the work of the Holy Spirit prior to our salvation. Okay? But, but when, we, when the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, and now our eyes are open. And so he goes on, he says, verse 14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because you know, it only, it's going to take the Holy Spirit to discern them. They have to be spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Okay? How could a person with a carnal mind an unbeliever sit on judgment of God's people who are walking in the truth. They can't do it. Why do you think the Old Testament prophet said, you know, I think it was Hosea, they'll call the prophet of God a demented. What do you think's going on in our country? You hear, these, you hear these Christians who speak up in a political environment, they say they're demented, him and their gods, they, they mock God, they scoff at God. Yeah, didn't Mike Pence make a statement and uh, that woman on The View, right? What did she say? Oh, he think he, He's, he's, he's walking around like he could talk to God, mocking God, and she doesn't even know it, and she's calling herself a Christian. You get it? That's the natural mind. Then she's got to backtrack because she doesn't, she doesn't want to lose her audience. But she's not backtracking because she's repenting. She's backtracking because she doesn't want to lose her audience. That's the carnal mind. That's a woman calling herself a Christian who doesn't know our Jesus. But that's what's going on. It's running rampant. And that's why you get all this throwing back and forth dots at one another, and most of it's coming from a carnal mind. They can't identify with a Christian. What is so harmful in the vice president of the United States saying that he talks to Jesus? What is so harmful to a Christian? Nothing. But it's very harmful and pathetic to them 
if you have a carnal mind. See what's going on? Jesus said, you're embarrassed of me, I'll be embarrassed of you. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of so-called Christians in this country who are embarrassed of Jesus Christ. God wants us to be loyal to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What happens in a spirit-filled life? We become loyal to our, G to our Lord and Savior, Christ. We don't bend. We don't waver. And when it comes to testifying to the truth, we'll take it to a place even if it's suffering and painful for us if we're allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us. Because the Holy Spirit's going to make sure in our fellowship with him and our faithfulness with him, he's going to take us to a, he's going to give us the grace and the strength to persevere even to the point of death. And man, men of faith have proved that throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, and even in the history of the church in our lifetime. Men have let the Holy Spirit, men and women, I'm using generically, have let the Holy Spirit take us even to the point of death because we were so loyal to the truth. One of the greatest testimonies of a spirit-filled Christian is someone who is unwavering, even when it hurts, in testifying to our Lord and Savior, in doctrine and in behavior. I say amen. Listen, they're going to go on. A lot of bells and whistles going on in churches and really don't have anything to do with being led by the Holy Spirit. And you know, To me, it's just a lot of window dressing. We're here for one reason, really, to help each other be led by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's why we're here. That's the only reason we're here. Trust me. You know, we're not here to have a social gathering to the point where we're ignoring the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, back in Romans 8, 8, it says those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit cannot please God. Romans 8, 8. Get a chance, go look at it. You look at that. I could speak volumes on that verse. I don't care what people are doing according to the flesh, you know, giving a million dollars, driving the church school bus, you know, putting on a show on Sunday. If they're not led by the Holy Spirit, they're not pleasing to God. Who are those that are, that are controlled by their sinful nature? Those that don't have the Spirit of God. But you see, when you start really reading between the lines as far as the real issue of salvation, listen, this, this message can cut two different ways. Maybe some of you might just blow it off because you have carnal minds. Maybe some of you will say, you know what, I've got to revisit my relationship with God. I got to realize, man, that I love God so much that I, I don't want to let him down. Don't worry, you won't let him down. You know, you'll just take it to heart and say, Lord, I just, you know, you've given me everything. You've equipped me completely. Help me to go forward and testify to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What do we say about the Holy Spirit in John 14? Jesus said the Holy Spirit will take from what is mine and reveal it to you. Did you pick that up? Right? That's an interesting thought. Again, I don't know if I mentioned it this service earlier or what, but the Holy Spirit's not going to involve himself in anything that has nothing to do with bringing glory to God the Father or Jesus Christ. Trust me. There's a lot of crazy practices going on. You know, laughing in the Spirit, barking in the Spirit. You know, I'm not a big fan of slaying in the Spirit. If you have problems with that comment, come see me after. Okay, there's nothing, there's nothing edifying about these practices. There's nothing edifying to the individual. That Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was given to us so that he can edify us in testifying to the truth of Jesus Christ. He's not going to waste his time in practices that have nothing to do with edifying God's children or testifying to the truth of Jesus Christ. He's not wasting his time. But these false teachers, they've done a job. And people who are not in the word of God can't even defend themselves. Half of them don't have the spirit of God. They're just following blindly all this silliness that has nothing to do with the purpose why God sanctified us once and for all for his purpose. Nothing. And if we're not in the business of being spirit-led, we are in the wrong business. Okay, I don't mean to be a little sarcastic. 
But if we're not in the business of letting the Holy Spirit guide us in the fullness of the faith, we are in the wrong business. And so we, you know, 1 Corinthians, where it kind of plays into the fourth one. So the Holy Spirit indwells us permanently. The Holy Spirit has sealed us. The Holy Spirit has regenerated us. And the Holy Spirit has anointed us. The anointing, the emphasis on being anointed, we can understand the ways of God. Okay, that's what the anointing. I know we come sometimes put the emphasis on power, which is there, because Jesus, it does say that Jesus was anointed with power. But the reality is that this is why we can identify and understand the ways of God. We've been anointed at the point of conversion. 1 John chapter 2 addresses this. You know, we just read a verse where the Holy Spirit teaches us spiritual truth. Again, you see, that's four things that have happened at the point of conversion. Again, uh, we haven't got to the finish line with this sermon. How can we blow this? <laughs> you get it? How can we blow this? How can we have a whole home attitude towards God if we're saved? It's impossible. And so the fifth thing I would say is that the Holy Spirit has baptized all of us into the body of Christ at the point of conversion. 1 Corinthians 12 is a direct statement of proof. We've all been baptized by the Holy Spirit to drink. You know, he's using language from the Gospel of John. And so all of us have been baptized by the Spirit at the point of salvation, and that's what unifies us. You know, the Ephesians says, keep the unity. I like that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Keep the unity. It doesn't say create the unity. God's already provided the unity. We are unified once we're baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. We're already unified. And so what we need to do is conduct ourselves in a, in a God-honoring way and grow and mature that we maintain, you know, the unity of God in our, ch in our church. You know where disunity comes from? Immature Christians. People are not growing. They're the ones that are very disruptive in a church. They're the ones that are very critical. Grow! You know, if I wasn't a pastor, this is the way I'd say, grow up or shut up, you know? You know but I can't say that, I'm a pastor. I'm just trying to say that, you know what? Satan is shopping around a local church for immature Christians who are not growing. They're just playing church. You know, they do their Sunday duty and there's no relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. That's all they're doing, going on for years. They're the ones that Satan is looking for because they're the ones that will stop murmuring after a while because they're not tasting the goodness of God as they're growing in the Lord. So what's happening? They're going to get, dis they're going to get disenchanted with themselves or you know, start becoming critical. A spirit-filled Christian who's serving in a church, I'm telling you, they're growing in leaps and bounds. They don't have time to get into the murmuring, the complaining, and all that other stuff that comes with the package. They're just so in love with God. They want to come to church and edify someone. They want to brighten up someone's day. They want to encourage them. They're totally spent of themselves. They're not selfish anymore because they're so mature. They've went from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. And now they come to church looking for ways to encourage people. How could Satan cause division in a church if everybody's on the same page with maturity? He can't get in. So why is he getting in? And a lot of immaturity, a lot of failure to grow in the faith. And so go to, go to Romans uh, chapter 6. I'll try to wrap this up, but I don't want to say in closing. i got somebody in the audience that get all over my case if I don't close. Um, that's a local joke. Here, Romans 6, I love this. Look at this. Um, Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were, were baptized into Christ Jesus, again, spirit baptism, were baptized into his death? Water baptism is good, but he's talking about the baptism of the spirit that brings us into the body of Christ at the point of conversion. 
because water baptism can't do what he's going to explain here. It's going to take a work of the Holy Spirit to do what he's explaining here. Verse 4, Therefore we, have, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him and that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Did you pick that up? Who has died? Who has died? The believer. Did you? He who has died... You know, for he who has died has been freed from sin. The Holy Spirit, as you keep reading, basically, as Christ was crucified, buried, and resurrected, we too, because of this new relationship with God through spirit baptism, <laughs> have crucified our flesh. It's been buried with Christ and we've been raised up in the newness of life. Titus says that God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Now, I want to be careful with this, but you can, you can talk to me after. But I'm telling you, there's just too many programs going on in churches that are getting in the way of the power of the Holy Spirit that has already delivered us at the point of salvation from the power of sin, okay? I'm not saying that we don't have tendencies after we get saved. But my starting point is my Lord and Savior has told me that I'm free from the power of sin. And I'm going to tap into that truth until I see the reality of it going on in the maturing work of the Holy Spirit. We got so many programs going on for this and for that, that we're, we're just getting in the way of the Holy Spirit in order to, to, to let a person know what it is to be free in Christ. People say, well, this program works. I mean, I'm telling you, I've been doing this for 20 years. 20 years? How much is it working? <laughs> Listen, when Christ sets us free, I'm, I'm saying this in love. I'm telling you. I'm telling you there's too many things that are being supplemented for the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you know that the American church has lost the technology of how to deal with sin today? They've lost, the, the, let me say it this way, lost the spiritual technology of how to deal with sin. My Bible says that at the point of conversion, I'm free. I've been set free. I can say no to ungodliness. Who believes that? Do we believe it? Amen. Amen. Yes. And stop gravitating to man-made devices that have nothing to do with the power of the Holy Spirit, but have to do with the power of man's wisdom in dealing with issues that, you know. What an insult to the Holy Spirit. Let me get back to this. This is a great salvation. This is amazing, remarkable what God has done for us. Again, he, he mapped it out in all eternity. Took, Jesus Christ took on humanity. Holy Spirit came into our hearts. And we're playing around with man-made devices to, to, to be successful in life. What an insult to God. That's an insult to God. Tell you what, any pastor that's preaching programs, I got problems, okay? And I say that with all due respect, but I got serious problems. You better preach Christ, and you better tell your brothers and sisters how to be able to, to walk in the fullness of the faith by trusting in God with all your hearts. Somebody's got depression, they put them, they're on antidepressants. Stop it! This is crazy. I thought the Holy Spirit was renewing our minds. No offense to anybody, but, you know, it's the way of life. Antidepressants. You have three days in a row where you got the blues, pump it up with prescription drugs. That's the way it works. You're depressed, you're struggling with the blues, then you get on your knees before God if you're a true believer and you ask for help from the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. What happened to all that? Drugs, programs... What happened to the Holy Spirit in our lives? And like I said, we start substituting all these things. We're insulting the spirit of grace. We're insulting the spirit of grace. God has equipped us because he knew. Let me wrap this up. And the last thing 
is that, well, we've been sanctified, we've been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, we've been indwelled permanently, we've been sealed, you know, a guarantee of our, our future hope, we've been anointed, we've been regenerated. I didn't even get into the relationship of the Holy Spirit in our everyday life as far as sanctifying us according to progressive sanctification. Right? Maybe another time. But tonight, I am going to... I want to find out who's spiritual here. But tonight at 6 o'clock, I'll be talking on the obligation. Okay, the Holy Spirit has all of us. Right? Do we have all of the Holy Spirit? And so I'm going to address what do we need to do to really walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And then I'll talk about the evidence of a spirit-filled life. I think I've listed nine things. How do you know someone is really spirit-filled? Or how do you know someone's churchy? You know? <laughs> but we want to be spirit-filled Christians. God has entrusted his gospel to us. We've been set apart for a purpose. You know, and we all got to get caught up in the, the fullness of the faith. We got to get caught up in the purpose that God has set us apart, you know, and, and again, um, it's a wonderful life to just fellowship with God on a daily basis, you know, and, and again, God has gone through great lengths to, to make this happen, and I've said this numerous times, uh, this is not a game, okay, people are dying in their sins every day by the droves, you know, We've got to stand up for the truth. The truth of God is being, has never been attacked the way it is in this country to this day. It's being attacked. It's, it's just being mocked at. It's being scoffed at. You know, trust me, if there's any minorities in this country, it's the faithful Christians. And there's not many of us. But that's the minority in this country. If there's any minority, it's the faithful Christians who are standing up for Jesus Christ. We're going to be hated by everyone who's not a Christian. And I say, amen. Because now we're suffering with Christ and his rejection. And it's one of the great identifications of our salvation. That we are identifying with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Yes. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you again that you opened up our eyes, Father, to be able to see the reality of truth. We ask, Father, that uh, this wonderful work that you began in us at the point of salvation, at the point of conversion, that, Father, we would be a people who would continue to just persevere in such a glorious way, Father, through your Spirit, that we would be those strong, effective witnesses that would truly make an impact, Father, into the hearts of people. Father, I pray for Calvary Chapel Paradise as I lift our church up to you. Just pray, Father, be glorified in this, in this church. Be glorified in the individual lives, Father. I pray that we would all come together in the oneness of your Holy Spirit, that we would all take the heart, the common purpose, the common goal, Father of testifying to our Lord and Savior Christ, unwavering in the faith, Father. And I pray that any fears that we might have, any timidity that we might have, that you would replace it with the courage and the strength that you provide, Father, in your spirit. And I pray, Father, that all of us would find a way to continue to feed ourselves where we can continue to grow in such a manner, Father, that we would truly experience the, the, the essence and reality of truth as we're compelled, Father, to teach others the, the ways of, of Jesus Christ with the love that you've provided in our lives, with the mercy and grace that you've given us, but that these things, Father, would truly echo in the church as a whole. And so, Father, I lift up Calvary Chapel Paradise and I pray, Father, that the fullness of your, your Holy Spirit would always reign upon your people here. We love you. We thank you. We lift this all up to you. In Jesus' name.
know 